Hello, everybody. Welcome to Open Mic with me, Mike Creed. Well, I am recording this after finding out that uh, we got first and second, the fir uh, first and third in the uh, first UCI race of the year for the team in the Vuelta Dominican Republic. Okay, it's not the biggest race in the world, but it is a UCI race. It is an international race. It's not a local race. It's um, it's exciting. I'm I'm I I, I was surprised with how uh, happy I was. I thought when one of my guys winning, let alone not being there for it in person, I I, I figured it would be fun and. But I, I didn't think like my hands would shake or I would I would feel so proud. And I, I do I feel very proud, but uh that aside, people. Uh today's podcast is sponsored by Cardo Cyclist. It's always been sponsored by Cardo Cyclist in a way. And uh I need you guys to do something for me. I wanna keep Cardo Cyclist on board. I want you them to know that you guys are out there. Um so do this. You guys got a pen and paper? I'm going to wait. Grab a pen and paper. Hit pause and grab a pen and paper. Call this number. 719-591-4045. And just scream open mic into the, in the phone and then hang up. Or say, I listen to open mic and then hang up. You could do this. It'll be hilarious. Okay? Do that. Let them know. Also, I'm giving away the Mercury Wheels today. Um... You just have to like them on Facebook or like them on Twitter or follow them on, uh, on, on follow them on Twitter, follow them on Instagram, and that's an automatic entry. You can enter up to three times of that. So each, each one of those actions is, is an entry. So if I haven't picked the winner by now, you're listening to this. Do it right now. But uh, we're going to be doing that a lot. We have a good relationship with Mercury Wheels coming, and I feel like we're going to be giving a lot of stuff away. I was on... Um, uh, the Broken Spokes podcast, and if you don't listen to that one, you guys should go. But uh, uh, Claire reminded me of a story that I that I had told before, but not on this podcast. I tell I told it on her podcast, um, so you should go and listen to that. Uh, one day when I have more time, I'll uh, go ahead and tell it, maybe a little more thought out and full. And this, but I really enjoyed my time on that podcast. Um, we need more cycling podcasts. I mean, I, I, I think they're a good way to uh, give content that maybe it's not really readable. You don't, you're not going to sit there, but you can, you know, you can put this into your headphones and walk around the house or ride the train or go for a bike ride at work. So this is a new way to to get to you people and to have you people get that little cycling itch uh, scratched. So um realize I left myself a bit of time here. I have a minute and 15 to kill. What should I do? Tell embarrassing stories? Let me find an embarrassing story for you guys. Hold on. Okay, this isn't like really uh, an embarrassing story, but it's just sometimes I have these... these uh, I don't know, like, I, I notice something about myself, and it, it amuses me, which is a psychopathic thing to happen, but 
it, it amuses me like my own levels of um denial and and uh, ability to to uh constantly hope for the best without doing anything to get me there but i've noticed um i like buying notebooks and calendars like like planners because i always feel like oh this is the thing that's going to get me on back online and the amount of unused calendars and and fucking planners and everything i have around the house is ridiculous that was a really horrible story this podcast is a lot better. This podcast was with Gord Frazier. I haven't fucking mentioned that yet. Here's Gord Frazier, everybody. Have a good one. Now, I've justified this to myself in all sorts of ways. It wasn't a big deal. Just a minor betrayal. Or we'd outgrown each other. You know, that sort of thing. But let's face it, I ripped them off. My so-called mates. But Begbie, I couldn't give a shit about him. And sick boy, well, he'd have done the same to me if he'd only thought of it first. And Spud, well, okay, I felt sorry for Spud. He never hurt anybody. a million answers, all false. The truth is that I'm a bad person, but that's going to change. I'm going to change. This is the last of that sort of thing. I'm cleaning up and I'm moving on, going straight and choosing life. I'm looking forward to it already. I'm going to be just like you. The job, the family, the fucking big television, the washing machine, the car, the compact disc and an electrical tin opener, good health, low cholesterol, dental insurance, mortgage, starter home, leisure wear, luggage, three-piece suite, DIY, game shows, junk food, children, walks in the park, nine to five, good at golf, washing the car, choice of sweaters, family Christmas, index pension, tax exemption, so tell me about these gutters, podcasts. getting by, what, what do you do? Uh, oh, man, here's bullshit. So I was, Where's your list of questions? Are we recording yet? Yeah, but it's not live. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how we would podcast go? I would start to say, how how long is it? How long ago was it when we first met in Tucson? That's got to be where we first met. I imagine. Um. Well, Fuck, as I was long about- as as best as I can remember. There was a bunch of punks on the, on the shootout. You being the main punk. Ah, I take that with pride. I don't know if I was <laughs> the ringleader, but I do take no, that with pride. No, I mean, there was you and Phil and Danny and, and some other kids. And Remember Lewis Elliott was out there? Lewis, yeah, he was one of those. I don't think Zabriskie was there, but... No. But you guys came out and riding really hard and... Um, Maybe that was the first time I I met you. I, I don't yeah. really don't really remember. I don't even know what brought you. You didn't really make a very good first impression. That's uh, I'd love to bust your balls back, but you're speaking the truth. I probably <laughs> did. 
What brought you to Tucson in the first place? Um, I had heard when I was doing Team Pursuit, um, one of the guys on the national team had been here. Yeah. Um, training. So it had been pretty popular even in the 80s with Canadians. Like uh, Gervais Ryu was a big uh, road guy. Um, he's Argon 18. Okay. I know he'd been here um, when he was on 10 Speed Drive. Um, Neil Stewart um, was a director sportif for for that little team back in the 80s. So there had been some Canadian guys coming to Tucson before. Tim Lefebvre had been here. Right. And uh, I actually had a cousin who was um, throwing javelin for the University of Arizona. Holy shit. And we were about the same age. We were actually, we were in in the same grade in Canada. And, you know, I lived in Ottawa, which was the, of course, the capital of Canada. You might not have known that, but, um, or many of your listeners probably don't know that. But, uh, you know, all the sport governing bodies are in Ottawa, so all the national coaches are in Ottawa. So just so happens that the national coach for, I don't know if it's track and field or javelin, per you know, specifically, but uh, lived in our subdivision. So she would live with us in the summertime and train with her coach. So she got a scholarship down here, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll go visit her and and stay with her for a little while. So you were doing Team Pursuit already at this point. You had already been to the Olympics. No, no, not with Team Pursuit. We we did some other multi-sport games, like we did the Commonwealth Games in 1990. Um, January of 1990 and then we did the Goodwill Games in Seattle in 1990 we weren't uh, we weren't fast enough we weren't uh, meeting the time standards to go to the Olympics back then you could just go like you yeah. didn't have to qualify if the country felt you could be competitive you, sign you they would send you yeah. so it was an internal um, criteria within Canadian Olympic Committee and, and cycling Canadian Cycling Association. To say, okay, we're not going to send you guys unless you do this time. Yeah, exactly. Well, do you remember what the time was? Uh, well, you know, things have changed a lot in Team Pursuit. Sure, yeah. Um, but a fast time back then, you know, was was 4.20. Yeah. For, you know, 4.15 probably yeah. was right up there. Sure. Especially on an outdoor, like a 400-meter yes. outdoor track. Especially in track. Seattle, yeah. Yeah, we did... 4.15 in Seattle, it's moving. Yeah, we, I, I want to say we did in Seattle... We had a really strong team. Um, Jacques Nobert, especially, he was starting to crack the top 16 in individual pursuit. Mm-hmm. And he, we were doing, you know, 400-meter track. What was that track in... Is, is it... What's the track called in, in Seattle? I can't even remember. Is it Marimore? Marimore, maybe. Yeah. And it, I think it's a 400 concrete, slow, slow track. And he, was, he would do two-lap pulls. On a 400 meter track, and he was that strong. Yeah, we did, I think, a 420, maybe 427, something like that. Yeah. And the Russians won, and they did a 419, so we weren't that far behind. Yeah, and, and on that track, we wouldn't have gotten caught. Yeah, which was a big, <laughs> which was a big yeah, big high five. Oh, we, we wouldn't have got caught. All right, so I mean, it was a 32 second lap, but we didn't get caught. Yeah, <laughs> right on. But you know, we were team pursuiting. On uh, on like a fifty one fifteen, like a ninety two yeah, inch gear, that's old school stuff. Yeah. And they they're running now on massive, like a hundred and some yeah, uh, hundred four inch gear. Like, yeah. Even the match sprinters didn't use that stuff back then. Yeah. And here are these, I mean, the women team pursuit are doing those gears, getting it off the line. Yeah. <laughs> so things have changed. You know, the aero bars, the faster bikes, and the smaller tracks. You know, the smaller tracks really 
because your center of gravity is lower in the corners, yeah. I mean, yeah. you're constantly accelerating. So, did you were you always kind of still road racing, or when did you just kind of get away from the track? Uh, I did. My focus was on the track, but we just didn't do a whole lot of track racing. Yeah. Um, some camps and stuff. We did a really nice camp in Indianapolis that year with Roger Young, and uh, we we really took some time off even just in the two weeks with Roger uh, yeah. because the national coach back then was uh, Des Dickey and he was really yeah oh, he's, wow. he's sprint focused yeah so he, the team pursuit was kind of an afterthought they kind of cleaned house after Seoul in 88 and and made a new team we had a big training camp down in Trinidad it was like 30 or 40 of us yeah. vying for the five spots and wow. I was one of them and that's kind of how that started so yeah, did were you team pursuit? Were fun. you upset even though like you didn't make the time standard? Did you still were you upset the federation for not sending you anyway? Or? Like no, no, we had a battle already with for the Commonwealth Games. We were a, like a, a second or a half second outside the standard for that, and they wouldn't send us to Commonwealth Games. And it's like, come it. on, this is Commonwealth Games. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's not uh, it's not Olympics. Um, so we 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 mobilized some some resources and got us to go Uh, made a bit of noise so we had already kind of played that card for couple of games so what was the transition from track racing to mutual cinema well there's a lot in between those okay let's do it (laughs) uh well um decided after the goodwill games in 90 that you know the track just didn't have enough uh Resources, so sure. it's like okay, I'm gonna switch to road, and that's when I came down here to Tucson in '91, spring of '91, and started road riding down here, and and uh, I got on this pretty a bigger Canadian amateur team called Magic Cuts. Okay, uh, they were training down here already, and I was kind of on the team, but the guy that owned the team didn't really tell anyone down here <laughs> so I show up and I show up on these group rides and uh, Neil was kind of the director and I remember him going who are you and I said well I'm Gordon I'm on the team he's like no you're not <laughs> <laughs> I, no one told me and yeah. I'm like well uh, talk to Howard who's the owner yeah. and um, so I just just showed up on the rides and yeah. uh, back then it was uh, I don't know if, you probably don't know any of these guys named uh like Chris Koberstein, Jacques Landry. Oh, actually, you probably know Jacques because he's the head of Cycling Canada now. Uh, or maybe you've heard of him. Uh, David Spears. Um, and then we had the, the Polish guys, Ed Kuzmarczyk and Czeslaw Lukasiewicz. Oh, Czeslaw, yeah. of course. So kind of tagged along with them on all the rides here. Yeah. And um, they were slated to do a national team project. Like they did Franco-Belge and uh, um, some of those hard races yep. in the spring. So they left and uh, assumed kind of a national team role in Europe, and I st- I stayed. I wasn't on the road team yet. So left open a spot for you in that. Well, I was just here still yeah. riding uh, riding by myself. I was riding an Ottawa Bicycle Club yeah. jersey. Sure. <laughs> and uh, it was funny because uh, you know nobody really knew, and I didn't really know what I was capable of on the road. So. Yeah. But I, I won a crit in Phoenix and won some preems and stuff. And when I started producing prize money, Neil was like, okay, yeah, you're on the team. Yeah, yeah, let's keep that up. Let's <laughs> yeah, that exactly. Thing up. Yeah. He, we came back from Phoenix. I won the crit in Glendale. 
and uh, came back and, and we gave Neil a cut. He didn't come up to the race. and You gave him a cut even though he didn't show? Yeah, of course. You're buying your way in at that point. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, oh, yeah, welcome to Pat on the back, welcome <laughs> on the team. So, you know, Neil and I have been friends ever since. So, so that's kind of how um, the road thing started with Magic Cuts. And then um, I went to... Where did I go? I went to Chambry in France yeah. in 92 for a few months. And I did... I won a stage in the Tour de Doux. Like with the national team no, or the this, club? No, this was Chambry, the, the club. And there had been some Canadians there. Koberstein had been there. Jacques had so been there. So there was like a contact already. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I spent three or four months there. That must um, have been like... I mean, because there was not... You know, the phone system wasn't as great. There's obviously no internet. Okay, it must have been like just going another planet we we were staying in this little apartment complex above Chambry but it was right beside uh, well what is now AG2R's service course okay so it was Chazal back in the day yeah and this was kind of a, a feat we, were, we had Chazal on our jersey so yeah. it kind of looked kind of like the pro team but yeah. not feederish really. yeah so we lived next door to the service course so there was something to look at we'd go i talked talk to Lavenue and and uh, you know, the training was incredible. Did you, know? you speak French? Yeah, yeah, I spoke French. So, so you get, so it wasn't pretty, that bad. No, it wasn't bad. And Jacques and I, um, you know, had little Walkman speakers, and uh, I th- might have had a CD player by then. I don't know. I think <laughs> probably a cassette player. And uh, you know, we played the heck out of uh, you know Red Hot Chili Peppers, sure, and Beastie sure. Boys, and live just bringing it to France. Just bringing the good alternative yeah right right rock to France but that was that was a good experience we had we had a good time and did the was there enough like of a Canadian influence at this point that they already kind of accepted you all the French riders and on the yeah yeah the, the club was awesome um, really nice people um, I don't think they're in there anymore the the dad or um, the dad of one of the riders was pretty high up in the club and he was very high up with the Dauphiné Libre race uh-huh. like he was one of the main organizers so it was a cycling you know like a family atmosphere in the club and yeah. actually Chambéry now is one of the big clubs in France it, when I was there it was just it was a small club yeah just kind of regional in the south of France uh, and uh, now it's it's actually one of the big players in uh in French amateur ranks. So like if you go to Chambéry now, like chances are you have a chance to to move game. into the pro ranks. You said you won two races, that yeah. I won. Uh, I won a stage in the Tour de Doux, which now is actually a UCI race. Tour and I, I won a stage the there. D D O U B S. Yep. Yeah. So I won the last stage there, and what was cool about it is, I won a watch and I won a a bike. <laughs> and I won, I won all this stuff. I got a random a bike, like a really nice Peugeot bike, like a race bike. <laughs> and I'm like, well, why can't what am I do with this? So I'm like, well, I have the, I have my bike. Sure. So the, the bike shop bought it from me. Just bought it back. Was it their bike or was it? No, it was from the race. And so I brought it down to Chambry, and and luckily the shop that we kind of use, they sell Peugeot, and they're like, oh yeah, we'll buy it from you. So I got like five hundred bucks. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, that was yeah. enough baguettes to yeah, you're last set. the rest of the trip. Yeah, we were living high on that. <laughs> French francs. We had like francs coming out of our ears. Monopoly money. That. Yeah, we were, we were 
really loving it. We could buy a second baguette. It was nice. So this is kind of like how you step into Mutual because you had all you were doing well. Well, no, we're still a little ways off Mutual. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Mutual is '97, so this is '92, and so g- going into '93, um, I almost got on. Uh, U.S. Crete. When they saw me at uh, Tour de Du when I won that stage, they were like, "You should come." And I'm like, "Yeah, I should go to 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 a big. That's a big club. Crete was. Yeah. You know, I think that's where Le Mans went, and it was one of like ACBB at the moment was pretty big, and and Vaudevin uh, in Lyon, which was the Castorama amateur team, they were big, and Crete was big, and but it never kind of never yeah. materialized. So. I actually signed for <laughs> this team called IME in the States. Yeah, I remember that. Jersey. And uh, so I get down to Florida. Well, I was here in Tucson. I went out to Florida. Was it a professional contract? It, there was, was it? A, there was a pro team, and then there was an amateur team. Yeah. So there was one house that had all the pros in it. So the, the three McCormicks, so Frank and Frank and Mark, and then the Irish Paul, and who else was on there? Skip Spagenberg, uh, and. The two English guys, uh, the late Dave Rayner and Chris Walker, uh, and Colin Davidson, another Canadian guy. So they were in the pro house, and uh, the amateur house was kind of across town in Mount Dora, Florida. And the, the amateur division was kind of funded by this company called Hellshare. So it's called IME Hellshare. So we had our own house, and in that house was a guy named Tim Quigley, who was a big track team pursuit guy. And uh, a couple other dudes, and then a guy that uh, I had seen in Canada race once with a long ponytail by the name of Chris Horner. <laughs> no way, really? Yeah, so I was on this team with Horner back in '93. And the funny thing was, um, he might not admit to this, but um, he, he came out from California, so he's all like surfer dude. And, sure, yeah. Like I had never heard a surfer guy talk before. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yo, dude. I'm like, what? People actually talk like this? This isn't from a movie? Like, yeah. Like, I was thinking Polly Shore. Like, this guy sounds like Polly Shore. Fast Times versus Mom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, this is, can't be happening. But he was a great guy. And But the funny thing was, like, his bike. Remember those, uh, Le Mans had those Scott drop-in bars? Oh, yeah. So he had those drop-in bars. And on the drop-in part were BMX grips. Like with the little indentations in between your fingers, <laughs> like who puts those on their bike and wants to be treat, treat, taken seriously? Fucking Chris Horner, man. So he has these BMX grips on his on his Scott drop-ins, and uh, but we go for rides with the, with the pro guys. Um, Did he just hammer you with those drop-ins? He just crushed everybody. <laughs> he just and get his little like, BMX grips. Most of the time, we're like in you know thirty nine fifteen, riding around Florida, like just you know thirty k an hour. But every once in a while, we would rotate and, and try to blow each other up. And Horner was just, even back then, it was just crushing all of us. Just a different level. And uh, it actually really irked the pro guys. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. They did not like it at all. And we were kind of snickering in, in our house. How is it, though, that you can be in France and you're, like, winning races and then they don't put you onto the pro team? It's, it was a different era. Yeah. You, you needed to win a lot of races to get a pro contract back then. They are just... It, uh, I think the big difference between now and 20 years ago is now if, if you can just tie your shoes correctly, you, you get a contract. And kids don't realize how 
good they have it. Like it's still not great, but yeah. it's so much better than if you're 20 un- years ago. If you're under 28 and can finish in the top half of an NRC race, you'd probably get off. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Back then, you know, winning big races yeah. you know, might get you something, but might not. There just wasn't as. Did that jobs. seem like a? At the time and on reflection, that seemed like a good decision going from like a a well-connected French team with all these, you know, you, for those who don't know, like the amateur racing and they have all these national level races and you, you can make a whole career out of it. Yeah. And, and back then there wasn't Espoir and yeah. Elite. What it was is pro and amateur. Yep. So there was a lot of lifers racing amateur. So sure. when you're racing amateur over there, you're racing against... You know, like I was 20, 21, 22. There's 30, 35 year olds yeah. and like East, East Block guys, like Polish guys. Yeah. And you raised guys who have won stages in the Tour de France. Yeah, and, or just guys just, you know, doing everything they can to scratch a living. Yeah. And uh, it, was, it was a good scene. Like, even you think it was in a... amateurs, you were, you were, you know, treated with a lot more uh, respect than say maybe now with all the I mean it's a rhetorical question but do you think like that was it must have seemed weird to go like from this well connected amateur team to like an amateur American team where you're not even a professional and you're yeah I mean it was nice to be on that Chambry club it yeah. was a really good experience but I wanted to stay in Europe but it kind of didn't happen and I had this opportunity to go with IME which is a pro-am so I was sure. like okay I'll, I'll race on the amateur squad and maybe yeah. if I do well I can but that whole team went belly up in May the guy the guy that ran IME supposedly was committed to the Betty Ford Clinic and the whole sponsorship was on a handshake typical cycling you know sure. and uh, you know no one got paid I got one paycheck out of five you know, uh-huh. I got the first day I got to camp. I got a paycheck, and I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be great." Yeah. And then uh, that was it. And uh, so the rest of the year, I was kind of on national team. Did like Lavenier and stuff with with national team projects, and just funding myself. Um, my, my my mom and dad and I would we drove down. We did Somerville and Tour of Nutley, which is a big race. Yeah. And uh, I won. I won Nutley, and. Um, I survived a four-lane hook by Graham Miller to win it, <laughs> but uh, you know it was That's your it, fault for coming around him so. Soon. Well, you know he, he was around. fast back then. <laughs> <laughs> he was fast. And, How yeah. old were you at this time? Though, that you're thinking like, like 22, 23? Uh, you still have the youthful ignorance. I'm still gonna do this full force. Yeah, and it, you know I just was a little bit of a late bloomer. Now 23, you know, yeah. you're over the hill. But 23, I was just starting at 23 yeah. back then. But yeah, coming out of the last turn, you know, you exit, you exit wide as a left-hand turn, so we're exiting right, and then, you know, I start coming around him, and he's moving left and moving yeah. left, and I'm like, oh, he's he's committed yeah. to to taking me across the road, and you just kind of one eye looking at him on your on my right-hand side, and one eye at the line, and just making doing the math, making sure you have enough rope. Yeah, it's like okay, I, I'm. I'm I'm making inroads this fast on him. I'm up to his bottom bracket, but I need to get my handlebars in front of him in about 50 meters because we're gonna run out of road. <laughs> I mean, it was a it was a, a long hook, but it was at least a, uh, a hook that I can kind of calculate. Sure, you had the math on. I had the math on it, so 
that was a, that were your was a parents nice like I mean obviously they were kind of supportive but did they like question you at all or they're just like no 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 they were really supportive yeah like no like no pressure to go to college no pressure to do this just yeah you know race the bike and see where it goes yeah so where did that did that those results kind of pop you into well I did uh, I did race called uh, Tour de Lac Saint Jean up in Canada yeah and um, this French team had come over uh, a club called ASPTT Paris which was another big club and uh, Lac Saint-Jean was just dominated by Coors Light like one, two, three, four every day yeah. and I could give them a run in some of the races like I was second in the crit to I think it was Swart and uh, we got away and he sat on me and punked me but I was just happy to get second. Were they rocking the tri-spokes? They, were, they had the double tri-spokes and Dave Mann and Scott McKinley and all these yeah. guys. Oh, my God, they were so strong. So, uh, I, you know, I put up a, as good a fight as I could. And this, this club remembered me. And, and our national our national coach was Denny Rue, an ex-professional, yeah. like with Zed and some Toshiba and some teams in France. So he was placing all of us on French clubs and again I was not I, I was offered to Crete which the year before didn't work out yeah. so they said no we're you know I was a little bit older I was going to be 25 yeah um, so they declined they took Roland Green and, and a guy named Yannick Kojan who wow. was a, another guy on the track with me and uh, then Denis offered me to ASPTT Paris and they remembered me from Lac Saint-Jean so they took me and uh, that was the year that uh, kind of everything came together. Here in Tucson, I was training really hard. And there was a guy named Andy Bishop who lived here. Yeah, I remember that name. And he was on Coors Light and some, some big teams. And he was doing the Tour of Mexico. And this is back when you can just throw a team together. So he was doing it with Lamond and Miguel Arroyo and some pretty big names back then. And Bishop was pushing Lamond to take me on the team because he knew... Yeah, my capabilities, and so I was trained pretty hard to, you know, in case they said, "Yeah, you come to tour Mexico with us," and it never really happened. So I was on all this condition, went over with ASPTT Paris, and just started just winning, just crushing it, and winning races. How many races did you win that year? A lot, <laughs> like, like all D twenty eight, all like in uh, four months, D one nationals and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, fuck. So. Would you say twenty eight and four months? Yeah. Jesus. Dude. <laughs> it was yeah. It was you know I was winning races solo. I was winning bunch sprints. I was winning time trials. Just doing whatever you wanted. Yeah. It was it was crazy. <laughs> so uh, pretty much I had all the French teams were calling and and uh, and I got the nod. Akowitz um, called me, you know, from his car during the tour. Dude, he had a car phone. In 94. Well, the Motorola. Oh, that must have blown your mind. Yeah. He, and it was the day that Yates had the yellow jersey. Yeah. So he's calling me on... Well, I'm basically watching the race on TV, and he's calling me, yeah, you know, this is Jim. We want you on the team. Did he, like, casually mention that he was on the car phone? I would, yeah. That's all I would talk about. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's kind of loud. I'm in the car. I'm phone. in the car. Here. Here's the crowd noise. You hold the phone out the window. Fuck, <laughs> dude. You know what's funny is I completely forgot you are on Motorola. Yeah. I completely fucking forgot about that. So, the, one of the big guys that helped me get on that team was uh, Jeff Brown, the mechanic. Yeah. Because Jeff is an Ottawa guy, and I worked at his dad's bike shop. 
Wow. So all year he was like, Gord won another one. Gord won. You got to. Must have just been like local guy coming yeah, good. You got. You got to sign him. You got to sign him. And yeah. I, maybe it was just where Okowitz just wanted to shut Jeff up because <laughs> he's, he's in the backseat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like, okay, give me the phone. I'll call him. Just shut up today, Gord. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. So that's. You know, that's the way it worked back then. It yeah. was all, you know, it was still it was, slightly it was, works that way, but yeah, it, it's you know, personal connections and relationships still mean sure. a lot. But back then, it was a lot. Everything. More. Yeah. yeah. So, how, what was that like? What was that year like on Motorola, man? Um, it was like learning to tie your shoes again. Really? Because yeah, I mean, we're finding out now why, right? So yeah. you Did know, you go from amateur to the pros in in the mid '90s before yeah before the fifty rule. Um, yeah, right. It was pretty fast. Did you? I don't know. I guess this is a weird question, but did it? Was it like? Did you come in like, no, man, I got this. Like, I got this. Like, you were like fairly confident, and then just like. Uh, my first race with Motorola was uh, a race in the States, actually. It was uh, it was called the Norwest Cup in Minneapolis. It was oh. a big circuit race downtown, similar to, like, a Philly Week race or whatever. Okay. And... It was your first race. Like, what... And it's in Minneapolis. What time of the year was this fucking It was in June or July. Like... Oh, late, so did you late July, like mid year. Yeah, oh, okay. I, I signed like mid year. Oh, okay. I didn't stagiaire nothing. I yeah. went straight from. I did half the year amateur and the second half pro. Okay. And uh, so we're we're in the. I think we're at the Four Seasons Hotel in Minneapolis. Sure. Like, you know, going from like a dorm and yeah. outside of Paris ups, to the five star hotel. It's an upscale from a Campanile. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, my roommate Steve Bauer, you know, like <laughs> nice. guy I had poster on my locker in sure. high school. Try not to act. Try not to act too stargazed, right? Remember yeah. the time you got second in Roubaix? Hey, could you throw your bike a little, a little farther? Yeah, that was pretty cool. It was pretty close. Good job. You know, funny. If story, it was me, I, was I would tell this guy. I owned for like three or four months. I owned Stephen Bauer's uh, stealth bike. That bike you rode Roubaix. Oh, that chopper bike. Yeah. Why would you own that? Or how did you own that? Because <laughs> I lived in uh, Isigam with Noel DeAnker. And he had this... Before he totally renovated the house, he... Uh, half of the house was just like a fucking garage pit of, <laughs> of crap. And so, like, you would get bored and you'd just go digging through. And he had just boxes and boxes of Motorola stuff and whatever. And you and found the friends, chopper bike. Huh? And I found the chopper bike and I bought it from him for, like... Three or four hundred dollars. Oh, that thing is worth. That's that's like a piece of piece of history. Yeah, and I like ended up selling it somewhere else for like nothing and just regretted oh, it. Oh man, regret it to this I, day. I heard they had to weld two sets of chainstays together to get the length because the chainstays were so long. Something I didn't like take that. that good of a look at it, but. For such a like a one-off, Noel was not taking care of this thing. Like, the bottom <laughs> bracket was just the head angle is like sixty degrees. Yeah, the bo- yeah, exactly. How would the headset work on that thing? I don't know what Steve was thinking. So you're rolling with Bauer. You're doing this. Yeah, this and Steve Steve won it. Yeah, and I won the bunch sprint for eighth or ninth or tenth yeah. or something. So a good start. Yeah, and 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 it was and it was only a three-way split. And we won like eighteen grand. Yeah, this no, is it. This yeah, is your pro this, career. This is how. This is how. It, it, this it is, is every day, right? Yeah. So that was a good start, <laughs> and then fly fly the next day, 
and race race the next day and it was called Antwerp Brussels Antwerp yeah Arstelar and 200 meters to go I'm on Abdu's wheel and I'm just like I'm gonna fuck this guy up holy shit here it comes and uh we were totally surrounded and he just put his handlebars in someone's ass to his right and in someone's ass to the left cleared a spot and and wiggled through and those two guys like both almost crashed behind him yeah and i just i just just grabbed a handful of brakes yeah like oh my god i'm gonna die and he won the race and i was like 10th or something it's still not a bad first start but i thought you know this is gonna be this is the new normal this is gonna be my uh, grand entry into the pro ranks yeah and it, it really didn't get any better after that <laughs> that was that was so, pretty much it it's funny how that how often that happens where you're just you're it's not beginner's luck but just how sometimes the the good stuff is front loaded yeah yeah it uh so the you, opportunities were you know i just you know i thought opportunities would be like that like they were an amateur like they just come around next week you got a chance to win another race yeah not at the Euro Pro level in the mid nineties. How many guys were on the team? Mm. There, there are some. Limits, there are some really. pretty good guys. Yeah. I mean, there was like Phil Anderson and Hampston and yeah. Bauer and Alcala, yeah. Lance, Bobby. Yeah. No, Bobby wasn't there yet. Uh, Frankie, George. Yeah. You know, it was it was a pretty stacked team. So but a lot of guys, you know, a lot of guys on the way up, and a lot of guys like. Alcala and Anderson, they they didn't even race the rest of that year because they were they both retired. Yeah. So I didn't even get a chance to really race with them. Was it? So maybe there wasn't like a lot of one day racing in Belgium or Holland and stuff like that. I did a few, but I had to come back for Commonwealth Games and then back for World Championships. Yeah. So I was a lot of back and forth. Yeah. Um, like in the span of a month, I was back and forth like four times. Ooh. So. Where are you basing yourself at? Uh, they had me at the Holiday Inn in Ghent. I basically lived there for the rest of the year. Wow. And then the next year I lived in uh, Kortrijk. I, I got in my own apartment. That's not too bad. Well, this is before the internet. This is before they had the English movie theater? Yeah, they had the internet. They had the movie theater in the old fort. Yeah. You'd walk to the old fort, and there was like a two screens there. Yeah. That was my That was your once a week treat. Yeah. <laughs> we just... How was it in general? You just didn't... I, I got to understand why homeless people talk to themselves. Pretty much. Yeah. I literally started talking to myself. Yeah. Because I couldn't speak Flemish. Luckily, I could speak French, so... Yeah. But the only words I spoke all day was thank you at the grocery store. The dime. You know? Thank yeah. you, Web. <laughs> Possibly. <Yeah>. Possibly. <laughs> so it was, it, was a bit, it was a bit bleak that year, for yeah. sure. And I wasn't racing well, and... You know, getting them, getting your ass kicked every every. every and the depression race. comes on quick when that's happening. Yeah, it was it was it was challenging. Yeah, yeah. it was it wasn't. I remember uh, being like by myself for so long in those situations that I'd start reacting to myself. You know, like I would do something and then I would like out loud I'd say, "What are you doing, man?" Like I was like it was somebody else. <laughs> you know, when I saw the movie uh, with Tom Hanks when he's on the island, what was yeah. that called? Uh, Castaway. 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 When I saw Castaway, I'm like, that's it. <laughs> Been there. That was me. <laughs> oh, so was that your, so you did like one and a half years? 
Uh, two and a half. Two and a half. Yeah, but by March of that, or by after Roubaix in '95, they were telling me that I wasn't cut out for Europe and you should go home. Really? Yeah. Who was? We they? had to sit who, down. With, who was they? Was it Noel or? You know, other people in management. Yeah. So. They said, Saturn will pick up your contract for next year. They told that they like they found a. Well, you know, Schuler and you know it wasn't a whole lot of separation between those two programs. Yeah. They were both in Waukesha and everything, and Tom yeah. had been, you know, in that program for a long time when he was a racer, so... So is that where you went? Did you get up No, no, I said, no, I'll stay. If you, if, They said, well, we'll honor your contract, but we really think you should go back to the States. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, I'd rather stay. And Whoa. So I got it. I mean, I didn't get a lot of race days. You're talking 20, 30 a year. Yeah, you're getting the castaways. You know, I'd kind of complete the teams for the classics and stuff like that. But What was it you think that made you want to stick it out? Well, I mean, you just I'm, I basically thought I was just starting. And here they're telling you you should you should quit. Yeah. So I said, no. no. What would you do, though, if like, you were coaching somebody and they called you from Belgium and said, like, well, the team said that I'm pretty fucked. And <laughs> I don't know. I you, you, you just I mean. gotta follow your heart. That's yeah. what I did. I said, I oh, know, I got unfinished business, and I wanna, I don't wanna be saying what if. Yeah. So then, when Motorola ended, you know, everybody scattered. Um, the 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 program stopped. So we all scattered into the wind. You yeah. know, most of the guys got on Kofidis. George got on Postal, so he was the only one that went to the Postal route. Yeah. Because Postal had been there in 96. Like, Hampson was on Postal in 96 and some other guys. Um, so I got on this Mutuel, which, ironically, was Crete, amateur team. Yeah. And he launched a pro team. And he remembered when they didn't take me in 94, they took Roland and Yannick. A lot of my wins in 94, guess who was second and, and third, was wow. Crete. I'd beat Crete almost all year. Yeah. So they go, okay, we'll, we'll we'll take you on, and and uh, I didn't realize Roland went over that early. Roland was only there for two months, and he said, "Screw road riding, so I'm mountain biking." <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, he huh. got sick. I don't remember what exactly he had. Some kind of anemic or sure. some kind of blood thing, and yeah. he he quit like within a month or two. He was done with road racing. Mm-hmm. He started racing mountain bikes. Just killing everybody on mountain bikes. So it was kind of good in a way because I went from, you know, being on Motorola, which I was the lowest of the low on the hierarchy, to this French team, and I was suddenly kind of one of the main players on this team. Okay, it's a small team, but they do all the races. I mean, the tour? Yeah, we got a wild card in the tour. Yeah. Um, you know, three weeks before the race, we find out we're on <laughs> the tour. I mean, yeah. you know, it was... Did you win a stage in the Dufin that year? Uh, Media Libre. Media Libre. Yeah. And that, I think, was a real catalyst. And the, the, to their credit, the guys that we had, the climbers, the little French guys, they actually did a really good um, Dauphiné as well. Yeah. So between me winning a stage in Media Libre and then I was fourth and fifth in stages in the Dauphiné and and uh, these climbers putting up a half decent show like 
you know, top 30, top yeah. 35, you know, which was not bad. The, the biggest thing for us, you know, and you'll see, and you see it still today. You see that, you know, the tour just announced, you know, Bertang Shesh is in the tour. Yeah. And the Italians protect Italian teams and, sure. and the tour protects the French teams. And maybe we were kind of one of the first teams they did that for because, you know, back in the day, like Gann and Casino and uh, what are some of the other French teams? Francaise de Jeux, they're all foreign riders. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the tour, if, if our team didn't get in the tour, there would have been, like, 12 French guys on the line. Casino was, like, crazy, right? Was like, they had Vino. Festina. Yeah. Festina was, well. Well, that was the year that you went to the tour was when that Festina thing blew the fuck up. The next year. Yeah. Oh, was it the next year? Yeah. What was that it was like? 98. What was that like? Well, I, I came back. I came back. I was done. Yeah. After 97. Um, well, long story short, I couldn't find a job. Yeah. in Europe and uh, even after like winning the stage in mini leave and helping the team get the tour you just I, I was talking with Gan and, and Postal about going on with them and for whatever reason it didn't work out and then the team I was on Mutual they they would keep me but you know I was like okay I'll, I'll ask for double it'll take double for me to stay why wouldn't you want to stay there oh it's just small. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't have a long enough memory in your iPod to. Dude, these things so are long rambling. So no, I I I was like I was adamant that I would need double the salary, and they offered yeah. me a pay cut. Really? And literally, I left I left the meeting and and uh, sold my car. Like Steve, Ro- do you know Steve Rober? Have you ever heard that name? Mm-mm. He's a Canadian rider. He was with me on Mutual. He was the Nash national champ. He was a Neo Pro. So he came to Mutual because I was there. Yeah. So we were, you know, together and, and, and training together and stuff. And I, I left I left that meeting. I sold my car, sold my furniture, sold everything to Steve and packed up my stuff. And Holy shit. left the next day. And I didn't even have a contract. Yeah. Um, nothing here. Came back to Tucson and I started, I mean, I had no job. I was just like, you know, I'd rather retire than, than take that offer. So I was really swinging for two or three months, just not knowing what to do. I was riding mountain bikes with my buddy Dan Taylor here in Tucson because he was running this little KHS mountain bike team. Yeah. Like just this little amateur kind of state-level team. And I was like trying to impress him on the mountain bike. Sure. <laughs> he's like, Hoping that he'd offer you something. Yeah, he's just like, mm, what? you, you sure like- you don't got a road contract? <laughs> <laughs> you look like you're about to die, man. I mean, it I mean, it could have easily been been over. And so I talked. I started talking with Warden about Mercury, but all I ever heard about Warden was bad things because of the Comptel the year before. Right. You know, st- you know he did you reach out to him that. first or no? I saw him. Um, ironically enough, they were doing some kermesses in '97, yeah. and I was at the Four Days at Dunkirk. So they were walking around in, in civilian clothes, kind of checking things out. American style. American style, you know, baseball hats, you know. Sure. Who are these guys? And I'm in the car. It's, it's kind of rainy. It's, you know, yeah. 30, it's fucking 30, 35 degrees. It's Dunkirk. Yeah. And this guy comes up and knocks on the glass. And I'm like, who is this big American dude? Goofy. And I, you know, I, I roll the window down like three inches to, to talk, talk out of. He's like... Hey, you good? <laughs> I'm like, 
are you John Warren? He's like, yeah. So we st- that's where we started talking. Yeah. It was right there. And, Ford and uh, Dunkirk. How did you do in that race? Uh, three times seventh. Jesus, really? Those stages there. I was always in that fourth to seventh, except that stage in Media Libre that, I, that right. I got. I finally got it. You know, three years. Yeah. My only win. The thing that kills me about Ford and Dunkirk is that it's really five It's days. four days. Or five days? Five days, six stages. <laughs> that's like my first pro stage race. Oh, that's the The only thing that could have been worse was three days of Dapan. How about three days of Slender? I never did that one. They all, they all are the same. It's like a sh- I think it's actually a shittier version. Because <laughs> it's like maybe... Because you're getting smaller. The region's getting smaller. Like, how do you, yeah, how yeah, do, you yeah. do three days in West Flanders? And it's like, okay, let's do, let's do the, this series of the climbs this day, but let's do them backwards the next day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How many different ways can we do the Kemmelberg? <laughs> yeah. Let's approach it from the right. Uh-huh. And then the next day we'll approach it head on. There's so many of those stupid hard races that like nobody in the States knows about. And like we have a guy, Yuri, you know, and he mm-hmm. won Pinot Cerami twice. Yeah, that's a good race. And you tell people that and they're like, okay. Yeah. And you're like, no, that's a good one. No, Pinot you don't are... really understand what that, like, no, he had the yellow jersey in like uh, a Twat of a Says or some shit, some shit race like that. And they're like, oh, no, okay, that's a good I never race heard too. of it. And you're like, <laughs> no, you don't. That's yeah. pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, any race over there like that yeah, is, yeah. is, you know, is pretty so you got hardcore. so you got hooked up with Warden and that, that that was the first year of the Mercury iteration yeah brand spanking you were on that for a long time uh, the whole the whole run the five years it's only five years it was only five fuck years fuck dude I was gonna say like seven or eight no. it seemed like forever no did the whole run of Mercury um you know it was there was a lot of good and a lot of bad with yeah. Mercury like, you saw a really amazing ebb and flow with Mercury because it started and just got massive there for a while. Well, yeah, he he convinced them like we had such a good year in two thousand. Yeah. The only thing that we could t- do to top it is just to go all in. And he, what really sealed the deal on that was when Hank won Philly. Yeah, I remember that. You know, the the CEO of Lincoln Mercury was in the car. Yeah. You know, he wins Philly, and we're out some restaurant. And I just remember, you know, in comes three cases of Dom Perignon. Yeah. You know, <laughs> cases. Yeah. And the guy's like, you know, whatever you guys want. You know, you guys want to go to the tour? Let's go to the tour type of thing. So, you know, it was really Hank that, well, the whole the whole collective, but that, that win especially was, was pretty memorable. And, you know, we all signed really nice. Like, I signed a really good contract. How many... So this is 2000. Yeah, so going into 01... How many races did you win though in 2000? A lot. Fucking, like, everything, right? A lot. Yeah. Yeah, 99 to 2000, like, 30 races a year. Wow. And it was just because of the team, you know? The team was so good. We were we were just... We were just crushing it. But, it, you know, we were racing in the States, and it was a, l- a lot lower level. And, but we, we there went... There was a big we gap, w- though. I remember that, because, like... I mean, what other pro teams were there? There was, like... Uh, there was us. There was Saturn. You know... Saturn was the only guys who could kind of bust your balls. Well, they had, the, they had the budget, but, you know, the yeah. guys that gave yeah. us a better run was Shackley. Yeah. You know, with Lee Swin and Jonas and yeah. Graham Miller. And, yeah. you know, to be honest, they, they put up a bigger fight than, than Saturn did. Yeah. Then after that, it was just... 
there wasn't a whole lot of depth in that and you guys came in heavy yeah it just evolved into a, a pretty solid big team and just you know going into that 0-1 year and John just mismanaged the, the budget and blew the whole thing up do you think he got excited I, I, I just think that you know, I'm not going to lay the entire blame on him, but evidently, you know, ultimately it, it is res- his responsibility. But, you know, he I think he promised a lot of things that maybe some were out of his control. Like, take for example, like he, he constructed the team. And if if the rules, if they kept the rules the same, we would have been an automatic in the end of the tour. Like we were ranked seventh on UCI ranking yeah. with the team we had yeah. on points. But going into a one, they said, okay, but the point, we're going to do it so that it's the points are with what you finish the year on, not what you start the year with your new riders. So then we were back to a wild card. So you guys had to go with like a full calendar year to get the automatic. Right. Yeah. So then we were up against teams like uh, CSC, which was just starting out. Yeah. And they had Jalabert, um, Lotto had a big year like Rick Verbrugge won a bunch of races and you know they I think like Warden didn't necessarily know how to play the game absolutely yeah. yeah he 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 was too American yeah like not just American but like American plus like cut off you go into a meeting with the Tour de France and cut off sweats dude it's and a t-shirt time. it's comfy time you know, and you think like that you're kind of charming by doing that, but you know, the, the Tour de France people are in like Hugo Boss and sure, sure. you see this guy. So I mean, that's what I heard. I don't, I, I wasn't at the meeting, but sure. you know, just just shit like that, and yeah. basically blew the team up, and, and then the whole merger with Le Mans and Viatel, and you know that that righted the ship. But then Viatel went Chapter Eleven, and then we're you know then we're taking on more water. Yeah. Because now we're already with the shortfall, and then John's responsible for all the Viatel guys, and you know. Wait, so was Viatel like already a team, or Viatel was like? No, they 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 tried like they tried to make a team, but they were they only had like four or five riders. Okay, so they said so we'll, they, we'll bring you this money you and take these all riders. these riders, and and that that's when John had to flick Fuji for Le Mans bikes, and there was just a big mess. So. It, 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 it helped for a little bit like for the first three or four months especially yeah. like Van Pettigan was killing yeah. it at Perry Nice and, yeah. and uh, we were doing some good some good stuff but you guys had a crazy roster you had Peter Gum, Floyd Tonkoff Tonkoff I fucking forgot you guys yeah. had Tonkoff he was giving Lance everything he can handle in the Dauphiné that year but what was like you're so little press about Tonkov and he was like this childhood hero of mine you have to tell me, <laughs> you have to tell me what Tonkov was like I, I never raced with him Fuck he he boy. didn't make it to training make up a story I can't I got nothing Dude, to so he showed up to training camp he, sh- he didn't no. R- Rick Crawford was his stand in for the photo what and they photoshopped Tonkov's face in <laughs> yeah. he was like a football player <laughs> with Tonkov's face if you look close at the team team yeah. poster, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. See, never got to meet Tonko. Never did. Cripes. Yeah. What else did you guys have on the team? Like a champ. Uh, you know, the guy that was really awesome um, was Jan's Quartz. Yeah. Dutch guy. Yeah. And uh, he was he was a phenomenal sprinter, and between him and and Hank and myself, it was. 
we we did Malaysia that year, and it was like you cleaned up. It was pretty magical that that combo, the yeah. three the three of us in the sprint was yeah. just lethal. And what was the story with this? Um, I remember hearing these random stories about like this. There's this Swiss guy on the team that went like crazy, and, like he stole a mechanic's car or something. <laughs> no, no, that was the year before, and that was a another European guy on the team, and he had he was he bought one of the mechanics' car, but never, never paid. paid. <laughs> yeah, that's and, and then, but the, not only that, but they were living in Woodland Hills and yeah. would park it along. What's the main road in Woodland Hills? It's like Thousand Oaks Boulevard. Yeah, one of those one of those roads, and he got like a thousand parking tickets. <laughs> really? And, just yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> poor mechanic. Uh, I think it was Chad, um, who works for SRAM now. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's who told me the story. Yeah. Chad. So Chad, out of the goodness of his heart, you know, helped him out, sold him his old car, super cheap, never got paid, and then. The, the rider in question paid a tax for it you know basically yeah. you know ran up like a million dollars in parking tickets uh, need some water buddy so you can just want water yeah I remember hearing that story and just, I mean not that I was <laughs> laughing at chat but I didn't no, think it was pretty it was, magical it was pretty it was pretty not, not right so that was your no, so I five remember. years on Mercury and then five years four years on on the first four years in HealthNet and that was that was time to pull the pin but I mean how could you pull the pin when you're racing against like young guys like me <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't because I was racing against young guys like you it was just it was a question of you know going out and what you know all the all the work I did in the winter became work yeah. It didn't become. It wasn't. It wasn't just something. That, it wasn't easy. Like, yeah. you know, I looking back on my training. I mean, I trained really hard and a lot of miles, a lot of hours. No, we but, joke about it. Like when I would come down here in the winter. Oh, I'd spit you guys out. Like, on a like, consistent basis. <laughs> the amount of times that I would think like, holy shit, Gord's gonna win Redlands because you would drop all the times. You drop Moniker. You drop me. You drop Pate. You drop. Phil, you drop uh, fucking everybody, man. Like, easy up there. <laughs> I was telling you, I was ask Moniker what you used to call me. <laughs> I was busting your balls, but I remember, like, the one, like, really, like, I will always remember the moment where I dropped you on Madeira, and I was so excited. When I, was that? I don't dude, remember motherfucker. <laughs> Come on. It must have been, like, dreaming. maybe 08 or 09. Well, when I retired? No, you were still racing. No, I was it was towards the end. Okay. It was towards the end. You might have. I was on. Team you might have gotten five bikes. First year at California. What was that? Oh six. Yeah. It was oh six then. Yeah. I was up in. I like spent two months in Silver City, like a crazy person, <laughs> and then finally got so stir crazy. I came out. Oh, I was so happy. I was telling everybody like that fucking gourd I dropped. Him. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was talking to Baldwin the other I don't know month or so ago. We 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 chatted on the phone and he we did Madeira one time and he was trying to drop me and I'm like that isn't gonna happen. <laughs> and he didn't really know the climb and he looks over and he says uh, how far to go and I said oh about three miles and hit him as hard as I could <laughs> and uh, like big ring sure 
and and it was like 100 meters you know, around the corner and that was the end <laughs> so I get to the parking lot do a U-turn there comes Chris and he's like what's up he just starts laughing <laughs> got him yeah <laughs> what a you just kind of was health health net kept going on after that so you, yeah it was yeah just health net had gone went on for another couple of years and then the whole ouch thing that yeah. you know I helped kind of coordinate Floyd and, and uh, yeah. Momentum Sports Group yeah. and they kept the program afloat another year and then uh, Dave Anderson who was the chief financial officer of HealthNet he had moved over to United Healthcare so he was kind of laying the groundwork to kind of Convince United Healthcare to, to step up and, and take over the program. So is it weird to kind of see it from the outside now? Is it hard? Oh uh, no, it's no. it's a completely different. You know, it's it's so different than when yeah. I was there. Yeah. Like Corbett directing and you know me and Sayers and Moniger and that. It's it's not nearly that much fun anymore. Do you still keep in contact with those guys? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, what did you like directing? I mean, this is I have directing. Yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah. No, I I wish I would had a still a full time uh, car to drive, but you know it is what it is right now. And what do you get like the most out of it? Because I'm still trying to figure out like what I'm gonna get out of it. Uh, yeah, good question. Um, uh, the biggest thing is just you get to drive like an idiot. There is a, a pleasure when they like close off a whole downtown city. It's it's really cops, fun. And there's cops watching you. Yeah, as you four wheel drift <laughs> through their city. And you know, I probably was one of the more heavily fined directors because you know, def. I mean, especially when I came to real cyclists and competitive cyclists, yeah. because you know we had Paco who was, you know, leading races and. Yeah. I'm trying to do everything I can to keep my team together to, yeah. to defend. So I was stretching rules left and right yeah. to kind of help the guys do their job. Totally. So it was a situation where I, I took a lot of fines to kind of help the guys. But yeah. uh, no, I, you'll you'll figure it out. I mean, it's, it's pretty fun. It's a big transition the first year. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's a lot of similarities in, you know, the preparation of a race. The execution of the race and then the the effects of it you yeah. know there's closure after each race you know there's that you know cycle where you you lead up you do the race and it's closed and then you move on to the next and i, I really like that rhythm and you'll get it too it's it's something that's it's very similar to to racing it's just yeah. applied in a little bit different fashion yeah. but you know it's it's fun you know it, it, the only thing that the biggest difference was when you're racing, you, you get that kind of that rush, you know, yeah. and, and that's why, you know, on Mercury and HealthNet, we, we just had so much fun because we we won a lot of races and, you know, we kept it going. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we yeah. had fun. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, you know, I, I would be kind of hard pressed to know how I would direct myself. Right. You know? like no, I think the teams that. I've had is you know the teams I've had have been so square and serious yeah. and yeah. dedicated whereas the teams I was on in the states we we had a lot of fun yeah would be maybe too much fun but you were kind of a leader on those teams so do you think 
that was easily translatable to being a director like you I think so I think yeah. you know it carried over like Sayers makes a good director Hank makes a great director yeah. Scott makes, makes a good director I think we all have our our personalities and and yeah. uh, and the writers you know seem to respond to all four of us and and like I haven't worked super directly with those guys in a directing capacity but it seems like they all had good rapport with their riders and yeah yeah it was it was a nice little time there we were all driving the cars at one time <laughs> weary yeah. you yeah. know last year the last couple of years Chris was in the car so yeah a lot of lot it is of weird to see your colleagues good old boys know? like for me you know like Pat McCarty is yeah that's funny that's that, that, that he's driving a car Sean Hill now who are, who's, where's he driving Rio Grande oh good for him yeah yeah I didn't know that so does Sean weird. you're supposed to keep me updated with stuff like that you know I'm an old man if you would look on Facebook it's a <laughs> is it on Facebook maybe yeah. I, I just need a friend I guess <laughs> uh did you have to because I remember one incident I, I think I told you this a million times but I told you one incident where I always knew that you were a good director like because when we were on type one together for a while uh-huh. and then I was always used to like a certain dynamic with uh, team directors you know pretty hands off vague and then it would be like really aggressive or mean there wasn't a lot in between I remember we did uh, the national crit championships one year when it was raining I remember. And the pack was going really, really slow. And I, I'd been on good form for a while. You wanted to show everyone how strong you were? Yeah, so I just wanted to attack. Because it was, it was going slow. You were bored. It was going slow, wet, You were ADD. Dangerous. Yeah. It's all so I hit out. With, with Lewis Amaran. Somebody, yeah. you guys. And no, we, he was solo, and you bridged up to him. Yeah. So when you got to him, you were dead, and he was dead. Yeah, but we, like, we, got, we got like a <laughs> minute gap. You still, did, you still did a good race. And we were like... There was a second there where I thought we were going to lap up, and then I would be the national crew champ. Whatever. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's I, besides the point. Were you in the same race I was watching? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> when you, your heart rate's pet, you, you, you're going you're gonna to see... Um, <laughs> this is the biggest thing you're going to find directing now. Racer gonna, eyes versus gonna, director eyes? Yes. There is a bit of difference um, in the clarity of, in which you see the race. Now... Right. There's a lot of things as a rider that you'll see that the director can never see. So um, you do need riders that have experience and can make on the on the spot decisions for you. Mm-hmm. To but you're going to see things a lot different as a director with a with a step back and your heart rate a lot lower and not in the fog of war and the and the glory of a U.S. champion jersey not filling you know your we're not all good all right. Like, I <laughs> But so we do this, we do this race, and by any other team, you know, I spent a majority of the race off the front, whatever. It would have been like a good. Most team directors would have patted you on the back, and I guess I didn't even really notice that you didn't like necessarily pat me on the back. But we did the race. We didn't win. Maybe Hanson was a little isolated in the final. Something. something Wasn't it? Was it? That was the year when they when Bahati took crashed everybody. Yeah, yeah, he did that. Yeah. And uh, I remember we got back to the 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 house, and then you were just like you pulled me aside, and you were like, first, that was a good showing. You were really strong. Second, 
totally not what I asked you to do. <laughs> you can't do that when I asked you. And I remember like being. I remember this conversation, and I, I, I think I remember what I said, but I want to hear what you remember. What I, said. I remember you saying like, "That was a good ride. You were strong, but it wasn't what I asked you to do. And you have to do what I asked you to do." It was, I remember it was short. Well, you know, you know. Here's here's what I said to you. I said, "Don't." The, the gist of it was, "Don't fall into the trap," because don't fall into the trap of just showing people how strong you are. Being the early breakaway guy. Yeah, I said, you have the ability to dynamically alter That's and affect a race I remember with that, your yeah. talent. And the way you race, you didn't bring that to the team. And you got to man up and, and accept the accountability of that type of responsibility and apply it when it's hard to do that. And it's hard to do it at the end of the race. It's scary. Because there's a lot more guys that want to apply it. So I just wanted to convey that we needed you at the end. And if you had done even a third of the work that you did out there and applied it to the end, we would have had a better result. Yeah. And I just needed that from... A guy who's old enough and strong enough to realize that yeah. that's what you could you could be a difference maker. Yeah, I think you were the first person who like pointed out to me that being the early break is kind of a cop out. It's a cop out. You you it know, especially if you were assigned if you're assigned to the early break yeah. and you get in the early break, that's one thing. That's yeah. not a cop out. You're doing your job. Yeah. Well when you put responsibility on a rider at the end of a race to do a specific job and you call an audible and you do the early move and take, you know, that, that gives you an, an excuse. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of riders out there that race to give themselves a little excuse at the end. Well, I could have done that, but yeah. look what I did up here. I'm a hero because I was in the break all day. But yeah. no, you know, we needed you over here like we talked about. Yeah. Because no one else can have the ability to do that. So yeah, cause we, it, cause we had that on Mercury. Yeah. We had, we had really good older riders that understood their roles and did them and then we had interchangeable parts so take for example my lead out guys and I didn't care who I came off of I could come off Bouchard Hall I could come off Hank I could come off Sayers but we went into the race with a plan but 50-50 chance the plan had to get changed because someone did something in the race and they didn't have the legs so let's say Bouchard Hall did a, did, was in a move okay Mike knew that he has to take Derek's spot and Hank's here or if Hank did that Derek would move into Hank's spot Mike would slot in here sure. and they'd do it without even thinking and uh, and then I knew what was going on Yeah. and it was so seamless that it didn't even have to be talked about and it could be changed within a half lap of a race we could all change up so yeah. That was what was really special about those teams. So, you know, really accept, accepting roles and and I, I, I think, I mean, I wasn't the fastest guy. I wasn't this or that. But the one thing I did have was I think that was good was I took on the responsibility of winning. Hmm. And, and I didn't want to let the team down. I, I didn't win because I loved winning. I won because I was afraid of losing and afraid of letting the guys down. That was the main motivator. 
and that's how we we did well. You also had the guts though to wait it out. You had the guts to put. To it's hard waiting. It's hard waiting and waiting and waiting. You just want to get it over with. But yeah. when you come from Europe and the sprints are drawn out over you know 50k, yeah, where you can't touch your brakes for an hour, yeah, because it would take such a big bullet to get back to where you were, yeah. I mean, it was so drawn out. The sprints in Europe, when you're watching the Grand Tours, and, and the sprints start 30K out. Yeah. You know, and that, you need a lot of concentration. The States, by contrast, was relieving because, you know, I could be chilling at the back with 5, 10 to go and, and just move up and, yeah. and, and, and fairly short attention span, get in, get out, and, uh, and do what you needed to do. I'd be remiss. If we didn't bring up what's probably one of my favorite gourd stories. I have a couple gourd stories. <laughs> First, I, th- I think it's funny because, like, <clears throat> I don't know if you're aware of this gourd, but you were, like, I, I feel like I was always friends with you, even if I was a punk. And <laughs> always friends. And you have, like, people who are, like, oh, gourd's an asshole. Like, gourd's, like, a dick. <laughs> He's aggressive. Because you were a sprinter. I and thought I was pretty fair, though. Like I was fair. Most dicks think they're fair. But <laughs> <laughs> like, That's what did I ever? Him a dick. Did I ever like? I don't know. I was never. I there don't in think the I ever. Hey, I was never anybody. I was never there in the sprints. I was fair, man. All right, I'll take your word for it. I got hooked a lot more than I. But for all those people hooked. who think like, oh, Gordon was always mean or whatever, like this. I'll say this: I was in Tucson when I was maybe 19, 20 years old. I was staying with Austin King off of Broadway or Speedway, some one of these shitty places. Some way. Some way. And uh, it was over Thanksgiving, and Austin went to his family. I don't want to burden his family, just so he just chatted. So I was solo for Thanksgiving, and I'm pretty sure I don't. I didn't tell you. I didn't, I don't know who told you, but it was like maybe two or three in the afternoon. And I'm in Austin's house. And here to knock the door, boom, pick me up, no questions asked, took me over. Fraser Thanksgiving. <laughs> like that was massive, man. Like so first I think I have a photo of the table, so you want me to send it to you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I think Maynard was there maybe. Maynard was there. Yeah. Uh I think you're uh some in laws maybe. Some in laws. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was I was really impressed. I was really impro- I was flattered and uh, forever changed me taking the piss out of it. But, uh, so I only I bring up that story to show everybody what a really nice guy you are, and then two to preface this next story of uh, the one time I won a bike race was Cascade, <laughs> and uh, so. I'm sure nobody knows this story. So, uh, in 04, did Cascade. Uh, got really lucky and tagged this early break, and, the, and a pissy match ensued between yeah. Webcore and Mercury. Yeah. Was Mercury still? No, HealthNet. It was HealthNet. Like, Horner against Moniger, that was kind of like yeah. what it was going to be. And yeah. And Louder and I were the uh, benefactors of this relationship. Yeah, because Mike and I were in the break with you. Yeah. So we weren't really so the, working. So the break blew out to like seven minutes. 
And <laughs> I, I, I took a quick look around and I realized, well, I could louder. I don't know, but I think I could take these other guys. <laughs> and uh, so we start fucking around on the climb. There's this big, long straightaway into the climb. Yeah, I remember. Mm-hmm. I remember. Uh, I, 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 I knew I had to get away from you. Yeah. And I did a beautiful attack. <laughs> Totally pinned you in, and you totally went over the yellow line, which was against the rules. I got fined for it. Yeah, but <laughs> I would have caught you eventually. I know, but I had you. I totally had you pinned. I would have had. To, I would have made you work on that one, but you, but you cheated. So. I did. So I fudged the rules, and uh, that was funny. And this is the, the only time I've ever seen it. They had a journalist car, like a. a like a, a convertible with some journalists in it. And so we're not going there. Yeah, they had like the tailgate open so they yeah. can hear everything. And I'm sure I said yeah. something so, witty to you. So because we're friends and we bust balls <laughs> and nobody's aware of this dynamic, you and I get off the front together and we start like, we start fucking with each other. I can't like, believe how, how like crystal crank you are. It's like, so, fucking, are you going to pull or what? So I don't pull with you just to fuck with you. And then you say something like, oh, you're going to pull harder than that, Postal Boy. Whatever, like taking the piss yeah, out. Like if you want to do the tour, you yeah. have to pull harder than that. God. Yeah. My sister can pull harder. Yeah. Something like this. Uh, the next day it's in the paper. <laughs> <laughs> and it makes you sound so unbelievably obnoxious. <laughs> like, oh, sour grapes because they lost or whatever. And I got a call the next day from the, uh, like, I don't know if it was the same newspaper or another newspaper asking me about it. <laughs> and do you know how much restraint it took to not throw you under the bus? They're <laughs> like, that guy's a real dick. He's, <laughs> it, it'd still be going on today. Oh, we'd still be. We, I still, still like randomly shots. digging that story out of the it's, internet it's, it's It's in there somewhere because there was a whole thread of, like, I don't know. It was like on some blog or something. Sure. And some guy, was, all these guys go off on me like I'm a <laughs> dick. I'm like, you are, man. You're like, a fucker. Like, you know, somebody really hated me and needed this one little instance of context that they didn't understand. And there, I got lit up <laughs> bad. Well, you and, just, I, and it was funny because you know we were both laughing about it. Cause I don't know, dude. You really hurt my feelings. <laughs> Uh, I kind of feel like it was sour grapes. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that uh, if you didn't cover me on that yellow line, I'd be the the, the true victor of Cascade Something Classic. You know what, man? Sometimes you gotta yeah. cheat. Sometimes I'm not. I was close, man. I was like fourth on GC that year, man. Fuck. God. If only I won Cascade overall. Can, Where like, would I let me right win now? one race? Maybe I'd be DSing some stuff. <laughs> this is what got me on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll take you to the podcast, Corey. Is that it? That's it. We're done, though.